0: Hey guys, welcome to the Insights Lab podcast. For today's episode, we're going to be looking at the global lithium market. We're going to be touching on the demand forecasts. Mark's going to be talking about some of the leading EV market participants, and we're both going to be having a look at some of the main drivers that could contribute to this growth uh, in the near term. Throughout the podcast, we're going to be looking at and speculating on the likelihood of these expectations to be met uh, on the given timelines due to some of the changes that we've seen within the mining sector. To give you a little bit of an update, the lithium carbonate uh, price itself is down 35% in a year. However, that is following a massive surge in the share price that we saw in November 21 to November 22, where it reached all-time highs. A lot of that focus has been in the uh, North American region due to tax incentives, logistical advantages, and people coming to terms with the idea that Canada could be one of the world's largest lithium providences in the medium term. Speaking about you know some contributors to this exponential growth, uh, there's a few interesting businesses uh, out there Mark what what are you what have you been uh, looking into recently? is there any standout companies that are that you feel are contributing uh, majorly yeah. to this movement
1: yeah definitely I think there's a few that stand out to me I, it's a, it's an interesting point that you mentioned around uh, lithium demand dropping in the in in the year to date, but really it's sort of returning to uh, the mean. So there's definitely, looking at a a longer time horizon, there's definitely a lot more demand and it's continuing to grow. Um, It's just the last couple of years have been a standout. And when we think about the top players or the most prominent uh, manufacturers, I think that's probably one consideration. And then there's also the other perspective of who are the main producers, who are the main purchasers, where is the demand coming from? Uh, But if we think about, you know, Australia specifically, my gauge on electric vehicles, whether it's right or wrong, is how many vehicles am I seeing as, you know, someone who uses, you know, the Melbourne roads or Australian roads? And the cars that I see are probably Teslas, you see a lot of you know, the hipsters or the white-collar um, professionals who've, who kind of want to support renewable energy, but also it's a bit of a uh, branding-like statement piece. So you see a lot of people who are driving the Series 3. Um, you don't see as many of the roadsters or the more sporty versions. And then you've got some people who are driving the Model Y. They're the most prominent ones, but then there's also some brands that I realize are massive and they're producing massive amounts of units equivalent if not more than Tesla that we haven't heard about and I think the one that we we talked about was the the Hongguang mini EV <laughs> and uh, essentially to paint the picture here the vehicle looks like a Mr. Bean or like a, a Nissan Cube squished together if it it's two people and if you're lucky, a couple bags in the back, but there's no way you can fit passengers, even though it's advertised as a four, you know, four passenger vehicle. And I think this raises an interesting point because if you've done any traveling, you'll see that certain vehicles work in certain markets and it's not universal, right? In America, you've got these massive pickup trucks that I don't know why they're obsessed with, like these big utes and pickup trucks. But you don't see that in china you don't see that in japan actually you see the opposite you see vans that are like half the size that you normally see that accommodate to their smaller roads and in china there's a huge population so maybe this is all they need so i found that really interesting
0: yeah absolutely you know and you know i'm having a look here at the largest importers uh for lithium and china's number one you know followed by japan south korea and the united states China And I've read a report showing that China could account for a total of 45% of the total lithium-ion demand in 2025 and up to 40 percent in 2030. However, it's to be noted that a lot of the analysts are actually expecting the growth the real growth opportunity to be within the uh, European nations in the United States due to uh, regulatory changes aiming at the localization of supply chains so yeah that's that's a that's a really interesting the total uh, lithium market itself um, you know is uh,
1: so that's the demand for um, you know importers yep. what about the producers like uh, where are we seeing like the largest mines and who yep. are the um, i think you touched on it briefly but is it is it Chile, china yeah, Chile australia? china australia,
0: and argentina
1: were you surprised to find that Chile was like, like they have one, they're one of the largest producers. Or I was surprised to see that. Yeah, see, I've
0: heard a lot about um, a lot of I've seen a lot of ASX listed companies with projects in Argentina. Um, haven't seen too many in China. Obviously, you know Australian markets. You know most of the companies that are listed are resource stocks. But yeah, we're seeing a lot of changes in Chile at the moment, just due to policy reform and uh, you know the concept of onshoring that we can kind of discuss a little bit later when we're looking at some of the uh, limitations and something that could impede our potential growth moving forward.
1: Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, so I don't think like the average person who isn't researching, you know, lithium or electric vehicle stocks or that sort of thing and they're not savvy with the markets, I wouldn't say that most people have common knowledge that like Chile um, or Argentina are like, uh, big producers. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think I think it's quite surprising. I mean, I think everyone, you know, personally, before I even moved into the markets, I assumed that Australia was the world's largest uh, lithium producer. But yeah, you know, I thought maybe sovereign uh, and political risk may have been a factor with Argentina and Chile. But it just kind of shows that um, it might be a little bit of a better place to, to do business than what was what I expected anyway.
1: Yeah. I guess like building on that, uh the more you look into like, you know, where the resources actually found around the world, because that's gonna be a big contributor to where these mining companies are, are located, um, you quickly find out that there's two types of, you know, lithium mines or like ways to uh mine lithium. You've got the uh you've got the hard rock and then you've got the salt lakes or the uh, what are they called the lithium brines. Lithium brines, right. And one of the interesting things is in Australia they're probably primarily hard rock, if not all hard rock. Yep. And with that comes its own unique challenges, but also a different resource in terms of the actual is it would you call it the mining or like exploration process?
0: Yeah, the exploration process for sure. And even some some of the uh, processing, you know, methods. Yeah. Would have to vary depending on e- either way, and also it does come down to the bottom line of you know whether these companies and exploration companies, even if they find a resource that and it's big enough to be economically viable, yeah. that doesn't make it so because they've got to go through a whole you know process of engineering construction. We're seeing a lot of volatility in the commodity markets, which is you know impacting the bottom line for these businesses, yeah. and. You know, and, and, that's, and that's another thing that we, we need to touch on in terms of things that could actually impede the growth of the overall lithium market.
1: Well, to, I guess to your point uh, around that, there's a lot of scrutiny around the actual exploration process itself. So with hard rock, it uses – it. the carbon footprint of the um, exploration is two 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 and a half times more than that of the salt lake, right? So on one hand, there's renewable energy – We're digging this commodity out of the ground in order to find alternative energy, right, to reduce our carbon footprint. But at the same time, in order to do that, we're creating carbon emissions. So I think it's really interesting that the same thing that's designed to, you know, to to achieve the Paris Agreement and reduce our carbon emissions is creating, you know, the same thing. So that's that's obviously going to be under scrutiny and there's always innovation and ways to reduce that carbon footprint.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it just shows like, you know, the rise of ESG credentials is just becoming super important. Uh, one little bit of uh, something that I found really interesting was something that's actually taking effect today is the heritage laws, which uh, exploration companies in uh, Western Australia will have to pay 7% of their total costs or exploration costs uh, to the traditional owners of the land and $150 per square kilometre. So, you know, it really is coming uh, under scrutiny and it's becoming harder for these explorers or the incentives for these explorers to actually be bold enough to find a new resource. Uh, it's just becoming a lot harder and we're going to need as many exploration companies as we can get if in order to reach that demand um, by 2030 and onwards.
1: So how, what's the extent of that impact? Would you say like more than half of the mining companies in Australia are uh, in Western Australia or?
0: Yeah, I'd say a lot more, a lot more than half. I mean it, it's the biggest uh, lithium providence globally. Uh, it's responsible for uh, the most exports and, yeah, you know, we're seeing a lot of, you know, neurology plays and and some of the bigger players. I don't think that they're going to be as, you know, in, as impacted as some of the explor- explorers. However, I think in order to reach uh, that target that we have by 2030, we're going to need more bold companies and more bold exploration companies to find new lithium providences to, to meet that demand, you know. And, and I think that, you know, putting added pressure on these small explorers uh, in turn benefits some of the bigger players like Rio Tinto and I think that a lot of people are going to be a lot more dependent on them moving forward.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's very common for Australia where any if any businesses thrive and they start to do really well, um, the government want to find their own way to tax, or you know, find their way to, you know, get their percentage of it. I guess whether it's at a, like a national or at a state level. Yep. So yeah, it's uh, it's pretty interesting. Let's um, let's change gears. Let's talk about like use cases. So, you know, we know that lithium has come from a place where it's been used in mobile phones and. In laptops and more recently with electric vehicles, um, what uh, what other use cases are there for lithium that you know of?
0: I've seen it be applied to uh, airplanes. Yeah, you know boats. I know lithium can be in medication. I know I can attribute most of the lithium demand being for EV uh, vehicles and other mobility applications. Yeah, uh, yeah. Have you have you found other other use cases that might be of interest?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's uh, like common electronics, like uh, there's, you know, a lot of wearables. So, you know, your Apple Watch and uh, your iPads and, you know, pretty much, you know, cameras and uh, pacemakers and uh, even toys. So that's the more common, uh, like, use case for it. But I think what we're sort of seeing is, or like the more interesting use cases of it is probably in, aviation yep so i think we'll talking about it earlier but i think nasa they're kind of looking at you know solid state or they're looking at ways that you know they can potentially power larger vehicles with electric because i think a big um what would you call like a big uh, challenge for electric vehicles is they need charging stations and they still can't go that far relative to you know what we would expect like if you were talking to somebody from the nineteen, you know, fifties, or not, oh, maybe not nineteen fifties. Let's say if you were talking to someone twenty years ago, and they said to you, in fifty years' time, if you had something called like, you know, you had these cars that were powered by electric, how far do you think they'll go? Do you think most people would be like, "Oh, I'll go a 1,000 k's, and then you have to charge it every couple of hours"? Like, yeah. probably not. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know, definitely, definitely can see where you're coming from on that one. And it's interesting to see some of the innovation happening, you know, within that space as well. I think any innovation that does come to market will have to coexist with lithium-ion batteries. But, yeah, especially when it comes to, you know, EV charging, you know, you want to kind of have a lower fade rate and, you know, increase capacity and the life cycle of the battery. I mean, I mean personally, even with my phone, I've had my phone for three years and now I have to kind of sit by a charger at all, at all times You know, and the idea that something could kind of come into that space and be introduced, whether it's more for a commercial basis and everything, I understand that. But something, I mean, I know that in the US they have uh, at MIT a supercell that has a life cycle of twenty years without with having minimal fade. You know, so we'll see how that can be kind of introduced to the market. But like with any energy solutions, these do take time to be implemented. But yeah, definitely keeping an eye on that space.
1: Well, to build on that point anything that's uh, cutting edge or is being done for the first time is going to be very expensive because there's a lot of r&d there's a lot of investment there's not a lot of people that are ready to pay for that thing yep so we've seen this in like the ai chips and you know that sort of thing until were, the man was ready for it and there was a use case with chat gpt and you know a lot of the agis and things that are being developed i don't think you know people were like lining up to buy these ten thousand dollar graphics cards from Nvidia until there was a use case for it, and that often, as you sort of mentioned, is more on that commercial application whether it's like military, defense, or you know, on you know, with the, with the sort of uh, uh, government sectors that actually have the funding behind it, right, to, to do it. So, I think what we'll see is you know, when you've got massive organizations like NASA. And you've got like the government or military investing into that space. We will probably see electric planes, but they'll probably be military first.
0: Yeah. Okay. So having a look at some of the things that we believe could drive the market moving forward. As I mentioned before, there's a lot of policy reform and initiatives being introduced globally. The first one uh, that is quite controversial is the US Inflation Reduction Act, where the Biden administration has uh, pledged $400 billion USD uh, to focus on their domestic production uh, and localizing their own supply chain. You know, this is uh, this could be contested at the World Trade Organization by the European Union, as they find this is a little bit unfair and it kind of forces them in a position to kind of make additional uh, reforms to their policy to, to achieve their own targets. Uh, recently, in July 2021, we saw the European Fit 55 initiative being introduced by the European Union, which uh, aims to be uh, carbon neutral by 2050, which is a real stance. I mean, before this, you know, I had always kind of related, you know, this kind of lithium growth to the Paris Agreement and, and meeting emissions targets. But think, but you know, carbon neutral by 2050—that's quite exciting, and and uh, you know, businesses already starting to move into that and transition to, to meet those goals. We saw a 2035 uh, ban of internal combustion engines throughout all of Europe, which is another, you know, really going to instigate that growth. And we've already seen 13 of the top 15 OEMs to ban, you know, these internal combustion engines uh, to achieve these new targets.
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, you know, as you're sort of speaking about that, what comes to mind is Toyota, Um, being such a massive company and at the end of the day, these companies are for profit, right? So it needs to make commercial sense, right, in terms of moving towards something that is better for the environment but they also need to ensure that they're generating as much value as they can for shareholders and this led to, you know, the criticism from the shareholders uh, around Toyota's commitment to moving two electric vehicles, and I just found it absolutely fascinating that less than 1% of Toyota's production is in that direction when we've got, in contrast, you know, juxtaposing that with what you've just said about uh, the commitment to move to uh, non-combustible, you know, vehicles for by 2050. That's insane, like 2030, 2050, whatever it is. That's a huge commitment, and how does Toyota get to that or similar? if at all, right, in that same time frame. They need to really commit to uh, producing vehicles and, or at least getting up to, you know, the, um, the standard where they're in, like, the top ten. They're not even in sight of the top ten.
0: Wow. Okay. So we spoke about before a little bit um, and gave an overview of the lithium market itself. Um, I, had, I read a report from McKinsley Battery Insights team projects that estimated that the lithium ion battery chain could grow over 30% annually uh, from now to 2030 where it would reach a value of $400 billion um, as a total market size. Now I spoke before about uh, speculating of whether we think these expectations uh, could be met by those given timelines. We Here it says from uh, a report from the analyst at Benchmark, a $51 billion investment by 2030 is needed to expand the global global lithium market to meet these demands. In total, we're going to need 120 to 150 new battery manufacturers that will need to be built between uh, now and 2030. That to me is a staggering figure. Mm. And given some of the challenges in the mining sector itself and some of the volatility that we're seeing in the commodity prices – this seems to be pretty uh, ambitious. Yeah, pretty pretty ambitious. It look it's ideal, but you know, there's there's too many things that could impede this growth. You know, uh, just to touch on some of the bullet points. You know, ESG credentials. You know, geopolitical influence. You know, volatility uh, in the commodity prices. You know, making it harder for some of these mines to be economically viable, or even for them to actually even assess whether it will be economically uh, viable. Um, because by the time they go from developer into production, you know, that could be two years in the making and the economics won't even make sense if that volatility increases. And I think that it's more likely that we're going to see more volatility, uh, due to, you know, companies localizing their supply chains and adopting onshoring policies.
1: Well, with the, with a lot of moving parts and you know, the more complex the supply chain, the more, um, you know, Parts involved in the supply chain, the more, you know, and and like you hear from like our friend in like who manages 3PR and logistics, he talks about having, you know, predictable numbers where you can know what the price of the commodity is so that you can forecast and you can scale accordingly. But if there's a lot of volatility, that's actually bad for, you know, future plans if you're looking to scale, um, you know, it's it's – It literally is, you know, the biggest hurdle for companies that are looking to invest into something without knowing what that looks like.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's really going to reflect the exploration companies. You know, not only their elevated cost through ESG credentials, but now because of the volatility in those prices. I mean, you know, two two, uh, commodities that I've been looking at just over the last month, I mean, the price of iron ore itself is up 13%. You know, the price of steel is up 11%. I mean, that, that is huge uh, for some of these commodities that historically kind of haven't moved uh, that drastically. You know, I've heard rumours and, and reports that, you know, the price of lumber itself is 4x what it was a few years back. You know, and obviously, you know, these raw materials really do matter uh, when engineering and constructing uh, m- mining operation. Uh, one of the bigger things that I wanted to talk about and touch on is and, and we spoke before about Chile being one of the bigger producers of lithium, how they've adopted a non shoring policy and banned uh, their exports, you know, and disrupting supply chains globally. We've seen, you know, historically the Congo do this and more recently in 2019 Indonesia with their nickel, you know. It, it, it's crazy because when we're looking at, you know, what's required for some of these uh, electric vehicle batteries and looking into the more renewable energy perspective... Uh, there's a lot of moving parts, you know. You need, you need to look at nickel, cobalt cobalt, graphite, um, and I think because you know some of these problems that we're seeing in the mining sector, especially with geopolitical influence and and uh, you know the the this kind of uh, idea, this growing idea and and adopted idea of onshoring, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be really really difficult moving forward and these expectations you know although like i'd like to, to think of a carbon neutral society i'm not too sure if it's if it's going to be able to be done you know one thing i can relate back to is when trump's administration talked about you know the u.s wanting to lower dependency on china and to develop their own manufacturing state we saw iron ore prices immediately move from like 80 dollars a ton to 120 that's absolutely insane
1: yeah. you can you can follow the logic, you can understand the intention, but it's one of those things that's easier in theory than in practice. Because as you sort of head down that direction, uh, it's you know you can only foresee as much as you know with the knowledge that you have, right? And as you sort of head down that path, you start to see some of the new challenges that come that are only obvious once you get to certain production. And um, it, you know, naturally, as you have goals that are much further out, there's more things that can go wrong. It's easier to predict what's going to happen in 6, 12, 18 months versus what's going to happen by 2030, right? Like a lot can happen from there and then again from 2030 to 2050. Um, I guess like look to recap what we've covered, we talked a little bit about um, the top producers, uh, the top manufacturers, um, where these, uh, where some of the largest mines are. Uh, we've talked about some of the challenges in reaching you know, what the, what the expectations are by 2030, 2050, some of the key, um, you know, actual electric vehicle players, some of the outlier use cases. Is there anything else um, that you feel like we've missed that we should cover?
0: No, not, not,
1: not particularly. I mean, just highlighting
0: the, uh, you know, the need for more explorers to open up new providences globally to meet that demand. Uh, we've talked about some of the challenges it's going to be really interesting to see, uh, you know, how this kind of plays out. But, yeah, I'm I'm really not too sure about, you know, uh, if they can meet this target at all. I, w- I want to look at um, the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act and seeing what comes out of that and whether the European Trade Committee does flag this to the, Europe, uh, the World Trade Organization.
1: Can you see, like, uh, can you see a future where potentially lithium becomes, like, you know it still remains an important commodity but then it kind of loses its shine and then another commodity comes in place you know like i think we we're talking about hydrogen and um, other renewable sources can you see that potentially happening or do you think there's a, there's a longevity in in the resource itself
0: i think in the short term no medium term yes uh, it's gonna take think, some time. Yeah, the the idea of solid state batteries, um, as you mentioned before, is a really, really intriguing idea. However, I think it's gonna take a long time for that to be adopted. And I think ultimately lithium-ion batteries will have to coexist with anything that oh any you know addition that's introduced to the market.
1: Well, you know, with the introduction and uh uh interest around AI, maybe some of that technology will converge and we'll see you know, AI solve some of those problems if, if the humans aren't smart enough yet. (laughs) I hope so. That'd be awesome. Well, all right guys, we might, uh, wrap it up there. This was a really great episode. We covered some really interesting points. Hopefully you guys learned something new and, uh, you can expect some more from me and Brendan, uh, going forward. We're probably going to stick to this, uh, audio format for the time being. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. Enjoy it. You can find us on YouTube, listen to us on Spotify, Um, and we'll join you guys next time. Thanks, guys. Cheers.